again, and welcome to Ink Pulp Audio. Uh, this is most likely uh, the return after a short hiatus where I got myself back together, got this podcast back together, and prioritized how I wanted to do it, how often I could feasibly release it uh, while maintaining uh, a career, and and keeping the quality of what this, whatever this is, or, or what I what I felt I wanted this to be, um, keeping it true to my intentions of, of why I why I started doing this instead of falling into the trap which I was getting dangerously close to of just having content to put out. I don't want to do that. I've listened to a few podcasts where I've seen that happen and I find them to become very sterile and very uninteresting. And what I like about doing this is that they're far from that. And if I want to keep doing this, talking to the people I want to talk to, having the conversations that we do have, uh, it can't be filler. So that that that's what the little hiatus was about. And this is this is the return. And I can't think of a better episode to return with. I'm here at Denver Comic Con, where I've recorded. Um, a few of my favorite podcasts I've ever done. I think partially because I've been doing it so long enough now, not so long, but I've, been, I've done a bunch. And partially because of the guests I got, first of which is Howard Chaikin, who's on today's episode. And you, you're not going to hear a formal introduction because I, I don't do that. I like to just hit record as the conversation starts and just go and and not have to worry about radio terms like reset and introduce. So uh, while I don't properly introduce anyone, um, namely Howard, for this episode, that's who. Uh, make no mistake that that's who this will be with, and he will certainly let you know that. Um, but what I do want to do is is talk about how how, how much of a big deal this was for me. When I started really getting into the academics of comics, the nuts and bolts, how they work, uh, you're going to hear Howard talk a lot about feeling he wasn't the strongest artist in his generation, but he would be the hardest working. And that's a that's a personal mantra of my own. I feel that, that same way. Uh, so in school when I started really just expanding my knowledge of the comics that existed and how they worked, uh, early on in life, Miller was was a big favorite of mine. Um, probably the most important figure in terms of getting me to want to do comics and getting me to think about comics beyond the the throwaway comics that I might have been reading at the time. And so getting into school uh, and meeting peers and being exposed to different works, I was exposed to Howard Chaikin's work, namely Times Square and Black Kiss. And I, Times Square became very important to my development because it taught the, the big lesson, and I talk about this with Howard, so you're going to hear it. I don't want to get too repetitive, but 
it certainly taught me about space and how that affects the the narrative of the story and it taught me for the well for for the first time i understood the role of sound in a comic and how you can use sound in interesting ways to 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 tell the narrative so thinking back then howard was a, a big hero of mine and i learned a great deal from him from his work not from him personally i didn't come to meet him uh until fairly recently maybe two years ago i, I was at a small show this was i want to say ohio uh it was gem uh, gem city i don't remember it was a very very small show and um I know I had met him once before in Florida at Supercon. Yes, briefly met him. Uh, hung out with him for a night at the bar, listened to his amazing stories. And uh, then I saw him in the lobby, and he was holding court. And I was sitting off to the side. We were waiting for the shuttle in the morning to the show. And I was giggling, and he kept looking at me as he was talking, trying to register i looked familiar but i don't think he could place me uh and then i think he came over and, and said do i know you and refreshed his memory on the the florida story uh and that that's all it took because we did have a conversation about his growing up in new york and my parents growing up in new york and being jewish and all that jazz so we went out to to the con dinner that night and sat next to each other, sat next to each other all day and, and just talked and really connected. And it was, it was monumental for me uh, to be a peer amongst a hero of mine. What well, was great. And when I started doing, and, and at this show, the podcast had already started and Dennis Calero was I guess he was working, we were all working at the show, and he was looking for something to listen to, so I suggested my podcast, which was very fresh. I think only two two episodes might have been out. So Dennis really loved it and flipped out over it. And as I explained it to Howard, it's, it's very inspired by Mark Maron's WTF, which, as you'll hear in this podcast, he's a huge fan of. So he immediately wanted to do it, and we spent a lot of time trying to coordinate when we could do it. And it, it finally worked out. And I was thrilled because he's a guest I've, I've wanted to have on. And he's a great speaker. And we have a really interesting conversation. So for me, this is a very special episode personally to, to have this out. And uh, to come back and launch with this is, is just perfect. And it's it's really one of my favorite episodes I've recorded. And I think Howard's just going to grab you and not let you go till this hour passes. So I want to thank, I have thanked Howard profusely, and I'll send him an email, and I'll thank him forever. But thank you, Howard, for everything you've done for me, not just in recording this podcast, not just in, in the work you put out there and how much it's it's taught me and helped me, but for the small friendship we have i'm thankful for as well and thanks to everyone listening let's get down all right well you were asking me something 
was asking whether whether you wanted the candy I brought you or not. <laughs> I, I actually, I um, I'm gonna bring that home to my wife. It's her favorite candy. She loves cow I steal tails. them wherever I go. Where'd you get those? Uh, the Admiral's Club at LAX. <laughs> oh, you bought them here from LAX. No, from, are you kidding? I go there. And there's always this this hard candy, healthy shit, which is irrelevant, you know. And I like stuff that can fuck up my teeth before I, you know, while I'm eating, as opposed to after. And I grabbed a handful of them, threw them in my, in my computer bag. You what, know, so what's the healthy hard candy? Like you know, like uh, like those fake root beer barrels, and you know, like you know, like, you know. Like why are they stuff. Why are they healthy? Because they because they can't chew them. Uh, you know, you gotta, I mean, uh, a can, a, taffy is what it's. A, come on, man. Right, you know, right. You if, want if, something to rip the cavities from the teeth? Exactly. It's <laughs> not gonna be, if it's not going to be German chocolate, it's got to be something. You know, the Bonomo Turkish Taffy Company, the name was just recently bought by a guy who was very generous to the Heroes Initiative. And I can still taste, you know, like Proust can have his fucking Madeleines. <laughs> I can still taste vanilla Bonomo Turkish Taffy. Smack it and crack it. You're too young for any of this stuff. It's great to know that I'm talking was to someone who's younger than my children. You stink <laughs> on ice. <laughs> you know? <laughs> well, that was a, a candy you grew yes. up on in New York? Yes. Bonomo Turkish Taffy, vanilla chocolate, strawberry, banana. And the the name was bought, but not are yeah. they still they, they, they went out of business. And some guy who was a nostalgist for this sort oh. of stuff, you know, like the kind of kind of guys who buy our product, uh-huh. um, bought the name and contributed generously to the to the Hero Initiative, which was very nice to hear. Okay, is is he going to start making the candy again? I think he did. Oh, okay. I I, I live in in my town. There's a place called Rocket Fizz. I'm not sure it's a national franchise, uh-huh. but they sell. All sorts of candies from my childhood and probably from yours as well. Where that's in Ventura? It is. Where in Ventura? We went to it's, a place similar to that. I don't remember the name of it's it. It's on Jupitzville um, uh, Street. Oh. <laughs> I was going to say it's Oscar Molka <laughs> Boulevard and Big Street. I right, don't know. Right. It's, I know where it is. You know, yeah. it's down the street from the yoga studio. That's where it is. Everybody. Knows. Oh yeah. Okay. Now where I'm going now. Do you do yoga? No. Oh. What are you look at me? Come on. <laughs> really? You know. I mean, honest to God. No, I, I, I hit the gym three days a week. Yeah, I know. You, you, you stay know. in shape. I do, but I'm still fat. You know, I mean, I'm, I'm healthy, but fat. You know what I'm saying? Well, so what do you like to do at the gym? I do tw- half an hour, 25 minutes to half an hour on the bike at high speed with a book okay. in front of me for self-hypnosis. <laughs> and um, I do shoulders and back and uh, legs and, and arms and, uh, and, and stuff, front and back. How are the joints holding up? Uh, fucked. <laughs> Just completely gone. When did they go? <laughs> Somewhere between my, my 50th and 60th birthday. And when I was, I mean, oh. I, married, I married my wife, the woman I've been with for many, many years, when I was 51 or 50, uh, 52, just turned 52. And I looked like such a lounge lizard. I was so cute. I mean, I, I'd have fucked me. You know, I was just adorable. <laughs> and now I look like an unmade bed. I mean, I, I, mean, I, mean, I think about, um, there's a, there's a, I, I subscribe to a, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a regular customer to a company called Mosaic, which sells limited edition CDs of jazz players. Mm-hmm. And, oh, yeah, I know music. And I, and I got a Sunday Gazette this morning. You know, an email, and there's a new documentary about Artie Shaw. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was using Artie Shaw as a metaphor for my own aging because, you know, Artie Shaw was this gorgeous guy. This looked like a Levantine in his time. You know, he <laughs> slept with everybody, married all the other ones. And, you know, he was just a, a, a notorious, you know, ladies, ladies' man and womanizer in, in Hollywood. And he never, when, when his hair started to go, he let it go. And when I, when I met him in the early 80s, he looked like Ed Asner. Uh-huh. And it was like either this guy had no ego, or his ego was strong enough to think that they were still going to keep after him looking like that. And I was, and I, and I wonder, you know. Um, you wanted to know why I do this. I did. Uh, this is a question. that was the question before the candy. That's right, 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 right. So, I think there's a few reasons I do this. Mm-hmm. One, you know, we we work in such isolation, and I listen to podcasts when I work, and. Uh, 
the one of what got me into listening to podcasts was Marin's WTF. That's so true of so many people. Yeah, uh, absolutely. And um, I, it just it touched me. It just it, it I, every story just it was real. It was honest. And in in this day of avatars and fake personas, and it, it, I I I hadn't felt like I like there was anything genuine. And, and honest and human in what I was getting out of the media I was listening to or watching. So while I was working, that helped. I was also going through um, a lot of personal struggles because I was teaching and running a department full-time and I was doing comics full-time and I had two young kids and a wife and money was all, is always a problem. And uh, so I was always trying to find some sort of peace of mind, some some balance to life and listening to that I realized this is a common thing going on that there are a lot of people struggling with this stuff so and also struggling to get my my career strong to get a I don't know what the word is uh, a have a a higher profile or have better work to, to or, brand yourself yeah yeah to brand yeah. myself okay. yeah now and here i am working two jobs i can't draw any more than i'm drawing i can't do anything to help get my name out there anymore so i started thinking what am, what am i good at what what can i what what are my strengths outside of drawing comics and conversation like I, well, i'm good when i meet people one on one i can always have a really interesting con- conversation and connect with someone and after listening to a bunch of podcasts, I was like, I think I could do that and, and see how it goes. So I flirted the idea with some cartoonists I know, and they were really supportive and thought it would be a good idea. So, And luckily at the time, one of my graduate students is uh, an audio engineer. And so I, I asked him one day, how easy is this to get going? And he said, it's cake. And he showed me on Amazon what to order. It, it wasn't this. I had like a starter kit before I, I got this. Okay. But in total, I, I think it cost me $300. No shit. Yeah. And he volunteered. He does all my, my uh, he gets it all up on the internet. He puts together, I do an interview and then I do an intro and he puts it all together and gets it up there. So we kind of went in on this together and he was into it. So at that point, there was only one thing to do was to start doing it. So I just started contacting cartoonists I knew around shows and started recording. And I spent a little while recording before I started releasing, and, and they came out. So I guess it's that's one of the reasons. Another reason is I feel this industry, there's a lot of jealousy and, and anger and bitterness amongst the cartoonists. And... It, it doesn't even have to be that nasty. There's also just a lot of people that don't know each other that well, but see something someone drew and make a snap judgment on who that person is. And I felt like... Uh, is that really true? I I think so. Yeah? Yeah. Well, I, actually, I'd like to talk to you about then and now and how what I just said relates to that. Interesting. I mean, I, I mean I'm... I'm I'm deeply opinionated, um, and I, but I'm I'm very very committed to the idea of separating my personal feelings for a purse for a man or a woman than I am from the art and the work. Mm-hmm. Um, there are guys who, who I genuinely adore whose work doesn't interest me at all, uh-huh. and there are guys whose work I really like enormously, who I can barely tolerate, and and I would 
I would not shit in their brains if they're, you know, I mean, they're just, they're horrible people. Right, but, the, but you know them. Yes. I, I, but I, that, that's, I guess that right goes right to the core of what I'm saying. How can anyone make a judgment about a human being on the basis of the work they do? Before, I think, before, they, before they meet the person. Right. I'm not saying it's Does the right. Does that happen and I, I'm guilty of it. Really? I'm guilty of it. it. It comes from a place of, I guess, trying to make a living at this, where there's, there's, only, there's so many jobs and, and it's, a competi- it's a freelance lifestyle. It's a competitive lifestyle. And I, 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 maybe you have a lot to teach me on this, and I, I'd like to hear about that. Um, but from my person, I mean, I've seen it. It's not just me thinking this. I, I, I've seen it all over the place. And I thought having personal conversations with cartoonists and putting it out there for others to listen to would bring us together a little more, make the community a little stronger. Because I felt like with social media it was tearing at the fabric a little bit from what I had seen and, and some experiences I had had. And, and I, I think that's just, that's do the, uh, social media has just got a lot of evilness to it. I, I, think, I think the very nature of social media goes directly to my feelings about self-promotion. Um, I mean, I have, I'm, I'm aware of the, of the fact that um, I'm, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a difficult person. Um, I'm not a walk in the park. And uh, I'm an acquired taste. Um, I don't do work that is of, 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 that has a general appeal. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm was, that, was that always the case? Yes. I think Did so. that make it hard for you coming in? Well, when I started out, I was the least talented and the least naturally gifted of my generation. Uh, I came in surrounded by amazingly talented people like Wrightson, like Kaluta, like Alan Weiss, who was a guy that never really amounted to my, m- m- anything huge, but was an astonishing draftsman in his uh-huh. time. And I mean that with no irony. Um, Frank Brunner, you know, but but at least he, but Brunner could do a finished finished piece of work. I could not. Uh-huh. I mean, I was I was incapable of doing anything that even vaguely smacked the professionalism. Um, and but I, I got work by by dint of. Of, of a blind rage and just by a presence of being available and just right. being, uh, you know, hungry. Right, right, right. And I was by nature in my 20s, you know, astonishingly lazy. You know, <laughs> I'm not kidding. I no, mean, I, I, but know, isn't that, you know, that's, that's what the 20s are. You know, a drunk, a, 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 day, a day-long stoner and incapable of... Are you, you don't do any of that anymore? I'm, not for many, many years. Not before, since before you could vote. Okay. Um... I'm giving you a great benefit of the doubt and how, how boyish and youthful you are. Uh, no, I don't. And here I am in the capital of, hey, let's get fucked up time. Right, right. And not even vaguely tempted, I might add. Shockingly, just kidding. Um, <laughs> you know, so, but I was desperate, you know, for attention, but self-loathing, self-hating, Contempt for myself in every way. Okay, now let, let me pause you there because that's kind of, I think, at the root of what I was saying that you seem surprised about. Were you alone in that, or, or were other car- were most cartoonists coming from that? I, I don't really think so. I mean, one of the things that you have to really understand is that I came up in the early seventies. I mean, uh, one of the things about Wikipedia is you can't you can no longer lie about your age, which is really frustrating <laughs> to me. Uh, I was born in nineteen fifty, and I was the youngest of my group as well. And uh, by a couple of years at least. Okay. And we assumed 
on the basis of the way the culture was going, that we were going to be the last generation of cartoonists, of comics men. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, Stan wasn't hiring us. Stan only liked to work with guys of his own age. You know, the bullpen was all you know forty-year-old golf players. And that, that, that <laughs> I mean, they were just you know, you know, bunch bunch of old guys. And we were none of us were interested in superheroes, with the exception of Buckler. Uh-huh. And to a certain extent, Engelhart. Um, Engelhart was never much of an artist. Um, and Buckler had the most fully realized, most commercial approach on the basis of what Stan was doing at the time. And the assumption was that paper would cease to exist by the end of the end of the decade. This was in the 1970s. Um, you thought paper was yes. Paper, wow. there, was, there, there were huge paper shortages. Okay, a, a phrase okay. that I'm sure sounds idiotic to you. And, we, and that in con, in in conjoinment with the advent, the, the expected advent of the personal commuter, we assumed that paper would disappear. Of course, I look at my office now, and I'm and I'm I'm surrounded by 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 columns and sheaves of paper, <laughs> and I'm work and I have I have more computers in my house than I have than I have dogs, you know. <laughs> but, um, and what we didn't realize, what we didn't anticipate, was the arrival. I mean, there was only one. There was only one. There were only two guys between the generation that Stan represented and us, and that was Taranko and Neil. Okay. They were in a cl- like they're, a school they're, they're, of their they're, own. There are guys who are now in their eighties. There are us in their sixties, and they're in the seventies. It's Taranko and Neil are in their seventies. Okay. And they were they were the only guys. Huh. And they came from completely different backgrounds. I mean, Steranko comes out of um, art direction right. and self-promotion. And Neil comes out of commercial art. I mean, Neil, Neil's the archetypal John Stone and Cushing guy. Uh-huh. Is that a reference that you understand? Yeah. Okay. Did I, should, I, should I articulate and explain it for your, Probably. your listeners? Uh, John Stone and Cushing was, a, Kushner, Cushing was a, an agency that existed to do advertising using comic art as advertising. Right. Um, the Mr. Coffee and Herbs ads, which were signed by, by Paul Victor, Paul, I think it was Paul Victor or something like that. That were Milton Kniff and, and, uh, and Nilsson Old Sickles working together. Um, Louis Fine, who was really pretty much responsible for the Johnstone and Cushing look, who went from being this, this super slick superhero artist of the 40s to a kind of a Rip, Cree, Rip Kirby type style on Peter Scratch, but that was that look. And Gil Kane always sort of sniffingly dismissed Gil Neal's work as making comics safer commercial art. But <laughs> I, think, I think that sells him short enormously. Okay. Um, but then we were assumed, we, none of us were interested in superhero comics. You know, we were doing sword and sorcery. We were doing, super, you know, like a magic, you know, sexy stuff, funny stuff with Boat and Vaughn's, Vaughn's guys. What made you want to get into comics? I love comic books so much. So what were some of the books you grew up I grew on? Up, I was, I was, a, I was a, a DC Comics fan. I was that classic Silver Age stuff. We didn't call it Silver Age, you know. Right. I was a, a Gil Kane fanatic. I loved his work. Uh-huh. I loved Carmine's work. I loved Kubert's work. I loved Toth's stuff. Didn't give a damn about Jack. Was barely aware of Jack. Uh, and none of those guys. Ditko, I, I, I didn't see that stuff. That, that stuff didn't get real distribution in my neighborhood. I grew up in Brooklyn, and it wasn't around. But we saw it was DC Comics. Okay. And, um, but they were d- superhero comics. Yeah, over, well, I, the, the Julie Schwartz edited stuff. I mean, right. All the stuff Julie edited. Didn't, give a, didn't care about Superman or Batman. Batman by that time was a joke. Right. You know, it was like bad, you know, that, uh, you know just, I think it was, um, what's his name? Um, the, guy, the guy who did... Who ripped off? Who knocked off a Raymond all the time for Hawkman back? Uh, Doctor Doctor Fate and Hawkman in the forties. Um, oh Jesus, I'm losing it. Knocked uh, off Raymond? No, yeah, knocked off Raymond. Well, well, well Doctor Fate and, and Hawkman were all basically Raymond's wives. Right. 
back in the 40s when, when Kubert didn't do it. Okay. But, um, you know, it, Dick Sprang was gone at that point. Uh-huh. But it was that it was the Sprang-style Batman. It was kind of creepy and weird. It was, you know, like the Chester Gould kind of thing. Right. And I and Superman was really boring. Plastino stuff was dull. But, but, but Julie's work, the stuff that Julie was editing, was fantastic. So, but you didn't want to do superhero oh, comics. desperately. But then, you know, here I am, I'm 21, and I'd lost my interest in it. Right. Oh, you know, okay. When, when, okay. When, Stan, when Stan and Jack comes along, I become completely Marvel obsessed. I love the Marvel stuff completely, completely bug bug fuck for it. Um, I mean, I still, I can still laugh at, at drawings in Sergeant Fury and his Howling Commandos. I bought all the Marvel stuff. I, mean, I was completely, <laughs> fanatically insane for this stuff. I just adored it. I loved Ditko Spider Man enormously. I stopped reading Spider Man after Ditko left. Uh, I'm, I mean, I have this really parochial relationship with these characters. That Superman is still in my head, drawn by Jack Burnley. I was a Golden Age collector, I might add. Um, and you know, Batman was Dick Sprang right. or Jerry Robinson, and Spider Man is Ditko. Right. And the FF is Kirby. You know, I mean, I can't look at anything else. So th- those are th- those characters are branded in my head by the talent producing them. Uh huh. But by the time I became a working professional, um, I'd gotten real. You know, I was real. I was a doper. You know, I was reading science fiction, reading a lot of crime fiction. Uh huh. And. And any skill set that I had, which was minimal, was inappropriate for superhero stuff. Um, and all of us assumed that comics were going to be going away, and we were the last generation. So and then Frank and, Frank and Jim and Bill come along. Okay. They come along, and they want to do superhero comic books in their way. So, you know, okay, you know. so you didn't, they didn't come in with you? They came along they're, after they're you? About five years later. Oh, okay. So, so that, that changed everything. Those told, two? Completely caught us completely blindsided. In what way? Like, um, tell me what happened. Well, they, they were guys who wanted to do the kind of work that Stan and Jack and Dick and, and, and Ditko had promoted and were deeply capable of it uh-huh. and had a, a genuine emotional connection to doing that work, which I don't think any of us really had. Uh-huh. You know, I don't. So I, 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 mean, I mean, right? You can't imagine rights in doing that stuff, right? Aluda. Right. Weiss sort of, but not really very much. And Weiss had no work ethic. So before they they came along, was it a competitive field? I don't think so. Okay. Because um, now, I mean, it, you know, I mean, the thing is, it wasn't professionally competitive; it was personally competitive. Okay. Well, yeah. You know, I mean, we were all a bunch of young, very horny guys. <laughs> I mean, I mean, seriously. I mean. We were all very fuckable, you know. I mean, you know, to varying degrees. We were all. I mean, there was there was nothing nerdy or geeky about us. We were not a nerd crew, right? By any means, right? This was not that sort of mentality. I mean, um, I mean, when I saw Animal House in 1980, and uh, Ben Belushi's coming down the stairs and takes even Bishop's guitar and beats it to a pulp, yeah, yeah. I turned to my my then wife and said, Kaluda. and and, and got a laugh because she knew (laughs) I mean it was because Kaluta was Kaluta would attract all the sensitive chicks it was just like oh Michael he was like real thin he looked like a cowboy Uh and Wrightson was totally unaware of how adorable he was chicks loved him you know (laughs) and Weiss Weiss was you know a real ladies man as well I did what I could you know we just we just constantly chasing ass work work was a side job I mean it really was well did what was it like being a, a comic book artist? Did people know what that meant when you said no, what you did? Not, not even close. And what was the audience like? I mean, in, the fan, readership. in terms of fandom? Yeah. 
Um, they're, the, they're the same guys we're reading now. <laughs> now they're fifty. You know? Right. I mean, right. Just, okay. Okay. I, I read your work when I, you know, is <laughs> my grandson. You know, you know? Right. It's, it's amazing. But yeah, I mean, but that, that's sort of that's part of what I'm going through on my my latest tear in Screed. You know that you've what you've got now is um, superhero comics, which were mostly invented by fifteen year old boys, right. felt for other fifteen year old boys, being read by the same guys who were reading it when they were fifteen. Now at fifty, right, right, with this imposed gravitas on top of this this material, which is functionally children's but children's literature, along the same lines as if you take uh, the Curious George or the Man in the Yellow Hat and send it back to Africa to fight the Ebola epidemic. <laughs> you, know? Um, you know, so uh, so where it's at. You know? So what? What do you think of superhero comics now? Do they appeal to you at all? Do you look at them? I I don't. I'm not really baffled I'm, by how. Uh, how do you mean? I don't. I'm just as a reader. You mean? Yeah, or, or even as a craftsman, like how they even look now. I'm I'm sort of in awe of how beautiful the contemporary product is. Mm-hmm. Having come out of the Mando plate universe and the plastic plates universe. And 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 my, my work, I feel whenever I see this stuff, I feel like one of the apes in two thousand one, dragging a bone across the woods. You know, <laughs> I just like the reproduction is staggering. I mean, it's it really is. Mm-hmm. Um, and but but the fact remains that it's it's the companies have enormous amount of money and time invested in convincing the audience that the that the that the, the, the characters, the product, is the brand. Uh huh. And I'm deeply convinced that the talent is the brand. Okay. Okay. I I, I agree. I hoped you would. And okay. but and, and I, I think that gets more into maybe what I'm saying. Where I I agree. I, I completely agree. Yes. Okay. I, I totally see where you're going. Yes. All right. Okay. Um. So I mean, I I like certain artists. Right. I mean, I and there are guys working today in comics that that strike me as in, I'm, I'm awestruck by the work they do. Um, I mean, one of the things about I, I do I do a seminar at Marvel have for the past couple of years, right? And I'm constantly surrounded by guys who are far better draftsmen than I am, but have nowhere near the capacity to be a comic book artist that I have, right? And I and I and I, I try try to explain to non-writing editors, and bear in mind it must be borne in mind that right now we have an entire editorial class of people at both major houses who have never worked freelance, mm-hmm. who have never drawn a line. Right. They're completely, they are completely literary-based. They, they, they relate to the material through lit, a literary lens and through a series of almost, you know, sort of learned cinematic tropes Right. Which sound good on paper but aren't real, in my opinion. Right, right. If I hear one more comic book editor talk to me about the 180-degree line, I will shoot him, then me. Yes, yes. Because it's irrelevant. It has no, I, no, I con- it has no context whatsoever. I agree. Um, I had a question I really wanted to ask. Something funny? Just kidding. <laughs> no, it was. Um, I, I get it was getting to what you were talking about. I feel like now, when I look at what's popular, what's selling well, what what everyone likes, it seems to be very much based on a a brand and, and a style and and a look. But whenever I've tried to read some of these comics, I, I can't get from panel A to panel B most of the time. And I, I've been a cartoonist who... I put most of my effort into the layout phase of, 
of, of making a comic book into page that, design. That's what the job is. That's that's what I yeah. Uh, that's that's my core. But it seems like that doesn't matter because this flashy stuff sells better. And it, you're dealing with an editorial uh, culture that has a very limited idea about visual narrative. They deal. They, they're 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 selective and trope, and they are also in the thrall of writers. Right. We are in a period in comics right now, and I've said this in public and in private and in print, that is inexplicably in the thrall of writers who are now the alpha dogs in comics. Right. I have had this conversation many times. Which makes no sense. Because for the most part, very few writers of comic books have the faintest idea about the, the, the innate nature of what it is to tell a story on a page. I'm talking digitally. I'm not talking cinematically. Right, I'm talking right. the real estate of the page. You're using the exact words I use. I always talk oh, about the real estate of the page. Jews, right? A job I just finished. I, I, I said to a cartoonist last night, I almost feel like we have to give workshops to writers to teach them what real estate is on a, on a page and design and pacing because they'll easily just shove... 16 panels on a page with the stroke of, just by hitting a few keys. Because they, look, I've, I, I said this yesterday at this panel I did. There are three schools at, the, at its most basic of comic book storytelling narrative. The first, really, because until he comes along, no one really has a codified theory. Uh-huh. It's Eisner. Right. Eisner codifies narrative. Right. Okay, both in terms of melodrama, romance, and physical beauty of the layout. Yeah, on this last you're, page. You're spe- this is my favorite stuff. Okay, can Se- I guess the the, the other? Second is Kurtzman. I was just going to say Kurtzman's got to be the second. Who introduces a, a detachment, an appreciation of violence, not action but violence and its consequences, and journalism. Uh huh. And the third is Kirby Lee. I was okay. I was just going. I that's the three I was going to guess. And Kirby Lee. And, I'm, it's not, and, and people always talk about action. And Kirby Lee is not about action. It's about the results of action. It's about impact. Okay? And what you have now <clears throat> is a generation of comic book writers who are looking to vaguely achieve the Kirby Lee effect mm-hmm. through Eisner technique. Mm-hmm. And Eisner, and, and, and very little use of the, of the Kurtzman technique. I'm going to clear my throat right now, so this might come through. Do you uh, mind? No, no, no. Do you want me to press pause or... <coughs> Some water? Oh, yeah. A penny's worth of shit. I'm in Denver. That's right. That's why I said Yeah, it's very days. dry. Here, so, yeah, thanks. So, I'm, ha- I'm having a younger man open a bottle of water for me right now. It's pathetic and sad. <laughs> um, and this is a, this is, bec- this is why comics have allowed to become a literary idea. Why the choice of a visual narrative has become so limited. This idea, that those three, those three tr- strains, came out of a response to a letter written by a colleague of mine when we were asked to, to, to do, when we proposed doing a writer's seminar at Marvel as a companion piece to our artist seminar. Because mm-hmm. I, I said flat out that I felt that we were teaching the wrong people. Yeah. You know? Yeah, wow. And, and, I, and I'm a person, I, I personally do not subscribe to the Marvel, what used to be called the Marvel style of writing. Uh-huh. I think it's lazy. Just, I like full scripts. Right, right. But I want a full script written by someone with some kind of visual sensibility. Right. And we did this, and my client, my colleague, names will not be mentioned. Okay. My colleague wrote, a, wrote this letter, and I wrote my response to it, which was a, a free a stream of consciousness screed 
And that, that came out of it. And, and ultimately, when, when, when we sat down with these guys, we, I realized that it was an absolute waste of time because they run the room. Yeah, yeah. Which is inexplicable to me. And I was reminded of something that had been said to me by one of our colleagues many years ago, um, who has now gone on to become a reasonably successful filmmaker, a writer and filmmaker, who's doing a book, um, some, some book for Vertigo. And a fan came up to him and said, that writer, that name, unnamed writer, surely gives you some great pictures to draw. And he called me up and said, what am I going to say to this guy? You know, I know what I have to work. And this is not to say that writing is bad, good, or indifferent. I'm not even, I'm not even talking about the quality of the writing. Uh-huh. That if, I mean, it's almost of no interest to me. Right. What matters to me is an understanding of the basic mechanics of the use of the scale of the page. Because I hope you accept with, agree with me and accept the fact that in comics, space represents time. Uh, yeah. yeah. Well, I've learned that from your work. Okay. And that the, the amount of space you use to, to, to display an image is somewhat deeply related to the amount of time involved in the action involved in the image. I feel like, I, I feel so out of place because everything you're saying is everything I subscribe to and everything I work to achieve to, but I, I feel like there's not enough people that think this way. It's, it's because comics, go back to Gil Kane, most people in comics are more interested in being popular than good. Mm-hmm. You know? And... And since I realized a long time ago that I was never going to be popular, I might as well try to be good. Right. I'm serious. I mean, I sure. I have no... Comics have a, a deep and abiding relationship with, with rock and roll over the past 30 years. Uh-huh. In which the concept of virtuosity has ceased to be of value. Okay? And, I mean, I'm not the best draftsman in the world. I'm not the best writer in the world. But I do both well enough in the service of narrative to deliver a product that I regard as unapologetically good, unapologetically good mm-hmm. in its own way. But it does not have the, 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 buttons push, the buttons to push, which appeal to the comic book reader. The comic book reader, for the most part, in my opinion, the enthusiast, the serious enthusiast, and we're only dealing with the serious enthusiasts. Okay. We're talking about a quarter million people in the entire United States. Right. Okay. From my, in my opinion, are like me when I was a younger man, which is that they are people who wish to have their, their, their convictions satisfied and confirmed. They are not leftists who read the National Review right. or right-wingers who read the nation. Uh-huh. I am. Okay. Right. <laughs> I, I'm sure I'm on some, several FBI watch lists. Because <laughs> when I was working in television, I subscribed to every single political journal across the breadth because I believe it's important to read interesting stuff written by the people who, who speak from a perspective of which you hate. Okay, right, right. Okay. And comics is an, is an industry of received opinions. It's a, it's a, it's a business in which my, my perspective, my sensibility, is defined as cynical, uh-huh. whereas I consider myself a skeptic. Right. Cynicism, which is real cynicism, is someone who holds you and the audience in contempt and produces work to keep you satisfied just to shut you the fuck up. Okay. Right. And I won't name names. <laughs> but you know, you know who I'm talking about. You know who I'm talking about. I mean, there are smart men producing profoundly stupid work. Right. Yes. Yes. In, in all mediums. Right. You know. So, so if that's, that's what cynicism is, you said 
you were not a cynic. You were I'm a skeptic. A skeptic. A romantic realist. Right. Okay. I, I'm in touch with that. So how how do you think comics ended up in the writer's hands like this? I think a lot of it has to do with the success of Robert Kirkman. Okay, explain that. Kirkman is is the first writer in comics to break out of comics with his comics in hand, not putting comics be, behind him right. the way Patricia Highsmith did. Uh-huh. You know. But I'm a comics guy, I'm a comics writer. Right. Who broke out into a second another medium and has been insanely successful. Right. Okay. That success has created a cottage industry in representation, both legal and creative, that have completely and totally embraced the idea of the writer as sole creator. So you think before the success of Walking Dead, this this it was a different situation. I do. I believe it. I believe it was a it was a pivotal moment. And I don't hold anybody, you know, you know, guiltily responsible sure, for this. I mean, this sure. is this is just the way the I world. I guess moves. the question I have is because I've thought about this a lot myself, and and one of the conclusions I came to, because this happened in my time, was the collapse in the late eighties, the the image collapse, when comics became less and less story-driven and more art-driven, where books of splash oh, I, pages... I, I, I definitely believe that, that... I mean, let's face it, the 90s were, was the dreck, an era of dreck. Right. And that I think that the, the swing to writers was definitely Im- imminent because there would be... It was, it was that, that pendulum reversal. But I, think that pendulum, but, but I think the pendulum went here, and then Kirkman was there to grab it. Yeah, okay. Well, okay. All right. That's what I was asking. And, and I think that... Kirkman has created a culture among attorneys, uh-huh. among theatrical agents, that the, that the artists in comics are an unfortunately necessary adjunctive need. They're disposable. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, I feel that. <laughs> that they're an unfortunate necessity. Right. How do we get out of that? Beats the fuck out of me, babe. Because <laughs> I've always... Because mo- money begats power. You know? True. I, I I've said this to a few people over the the course of just this weekend alone. In in talking about just this, if you remove the writers from the comic book industry, books will be made. They will still come out. Maybe the they won't be as, as interesting. Maybe they they'll be more. I don't know. But if you take away the artists, there's nothing to make. But comics don't really are, are irrelevant. Yeah. Because what comics are now are a, a source for ancillary medium support. They're for video games, they're for movies, they're for television. The, the fact of the insane success of The Flash and Arrow uh-huh. on the CW um, is, is a demonstration of the fact that, that what Brandon Kardikoff said 30 years ago was right and is true. Which is? That comic books were the next source material. He just happened, he was 20 years too early, uh-huh. he died 10 years too early. Okay. Okay. He knew it. He was the guy who, who um, um, what was the name of that company that owned Marvel for a while? World something? Yeah, I don't remember. I know what you're you know talking, what talking about. about. Yeah. He, he, he bought Marvel. He was, that, that was his world. And okay. then, then lost everything. And he uh-huh. dies. He dies very young. He dies before he's 50. And, and, and these, these shows are not popular with comic book fans. They right. are popular shows. They are shows that right. find an audience that doesn't read comic books. Right, and I live in a small town, as you know, mm-hmm. 
And I live in a town that 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 my, my, my colleagues keep me very right sized by reminding <laughs> me that I have a, as they say, a faggot job that's totally pointless. <laughs> you know, and, and and frankly, it's it's a very healthy way of looking at I, life. I, I agree. You know, I, I mean, I, I live in a redneck town. Yeah, okay. I know. My brother tells me all about it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm I'm the liberal Jew and among a bunch of evangelical Christian right wing Republican stoners. Yeah, you and my brother are the only two Jews right. in Ventura. And I live next to the other one. Right. We get together. <laughs> oh, so, so there's they, three they, of you. We, we make we make we look. Where's the minion? You know. <laughs> At any rate, um, and these guys couldn't give a shit about this stuff. Right. Okay. Um, but 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 they're the audience for this stuff, you know, and they. They're always startled to discover that none of the financial success of this trickles down to us. Right. That it has had no impact on us whatsoever. Yeah. In any way. And and they, they, they find that yeah, the first, shocking. E- every relative, the first thing they say, so are you working on the movies? <laughs> no, I'm working on the books. Time to say he doesn't know shit what she's talking about. <laughs> right, right, you know? right, exactly. <laughs> So when you, um, you moved out West to write TV, right? Is no. that correct? Um, I actually said this to someone today. I, I had, I had an epiphany in December of 1984. There was a, there was a, a freak blizzard in New York city that dumped foots and foots of snow, foots and foots, feet, yeah, yeah. feet as we, if I were English. Or I thought you were language. a writer. <laughs> Patronizing <laughs> fuck what, um, chest high drifts. And I said, I'm done. I'm finished with this. And within, in the course of the next year, I came to realize that there was a potential chance of my getting this old. I'm pointing at myself now. Right. <laughs> and I had to find some income stream. And the truth was that the only possible way I could make the kind of money I needed to live, the kind of lifestyle I was hoping to live, was go editorial. Okay. And I realized... When you say the lifestyle you're hoping to live, what do you mean? Six-figure income a year, okay. you know, an apartment in New York City, a life, you know. I mean, comfortable I was living, living. What? Comfortable like, living, like a normal person, right. you know, not not right, with a flashing right. light outside the window. Right. You know I mean, right. Um, you know, I, I come from a from a welfare Jew family. I'm, we grew up very poor. Right. And I have a deep respect for money, mm-hmm. and I work my ass off to earn it. Sure, okay. sure. And um, you know, so I, I realized that I had to take. I could either go work in the editor at Marvel or DC. And it would want to work for me because I'm a horrible person. I mean, I'm I'm mean, I'm venal, I'm small-minded, and I'm petty, and I make people cry. I trust me. I have a history of making colorists cry. Um, <laughs> they do. It, actually, Scott Doomer actually said, "Do you really want him to have Choward make another one of our colorists cry?" <laughs> really. You know, you know, so, right. so I took a shot at movies. I ended up in television. Okay. And I'm very grateful. I really am. I had out of 15 years, I did 12 years of staffing, and I. You know, I'm, I, I wrote a lot, I wrote a lot of hours. Mm-hmm. I never worked on a show I'd watch. Mm-hmm. I hadn't been on it. Okay. I never watched episodes that I didn't write of those shows. <laughs> I have no idea. I was so good. I have no idea. <laughs> Come on. Um, and I blew one really good shot out of hubris. And um, it's one of the regrets. Can you talk about that? Um, I was offered a position on a major television series at a third, my, my quote, and a title a rung below my title, as I as I earned at that point. Uh huh. And there's no guarantee that I would have succeeded at it, right? And gone on, but but if I if I'd had a, I I I thought I could get better than that. Uh huh. And I blew it. And the show went on to be 
it's it it, it, it lasted a couple of weeks. <laughs> so during the these years, were you doing any comics work? No, um, very little. I mean, I I did Power and Glory, uh-huh. and that almost wrecked my life. I mean, I was I was working, I was I was number two on a TV series, and I was drawing this book, and my my wife threatened to leave me. I was awful. How yeah. how many how how many hours were you working a week? Then? I was I was getting I, for about four months. I was sleeping four hours a night. Yeah, that sounds like my life. You know, and I can't do that anymore. I mean, I, I, no. was, I was... was Is comics always... I guess I'm asking this for my wife. Is this? <laughs> is it always like this? Like, just the workloads, the hours are just relentless. Or is that just part of the, the paying dues phase? No, I, I, I think it's... A, I think there's a... <clears throat> I'm really into time management. Mm-hmm. You know, I, like I am that. too. I'm I'm very I'm very organized and structured. I pay very close attention to how much time I'm spending on shit. Okay. And um, you know, my day is very it is the same day every day. Uh-huh. You know, I'm up at five. Yeah, I like I, I do my meditation, I, I I go do what I gotta do. Do you do TM? Uh no. I, I do a for my for that, that sobriety thing. It's all part of it. Okay, that. okay. And I go to a meeting if I'm going or I go to the gym if that's my day. And then I uh I'm at my desk by nine o'clock and I work till six. And you do every that day. Five days or six? Five days. Weekends, I'll put, if I'm pushing, I'll put in a couple hours in the morning. Okay. I like to get to the movies in the afternoon with the wife. Uh-huh. And, uh, and also like to cook at home on the weekends. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So when you, when you were you were doing Power and Glory and working on TV and you, you were working too many hours uh, and your wife had had it. Oh, uh, she was just done, you know. She was, she was just, I mean, I was, un- I, look, I was, I was barely able to function. I mean, last year I found myself in a very similar position. Mm-hmm. Because I I took I, I spent most of July in the UK. I went to two shows and we had a magical trip. We went to Ireland. We went to Scotland. We've always wanted to see those those countries. Sure. And I came home and I was I was home at three a.m. I was home at nine o'clock. Three a.m. I woke up and I was working at four a.m. Wow. And for the next fifty-two days, I worked every day. So you just had deadlines because I I fucked up a deadline and I, and I was filled with shame. And having to apologize to certain people in the comic book business is something that I will never do again. <laughs> I was taught long ago by my AA sponsor that never own immense to someone for whom you have contempt. It's a good lesson. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it really is. It's a lifesaver. That sounds good. So why did you come back to comics? Well, I got fired in June of 2002 from my last job. And it had been a miserable eight weeks. I was living in, Mont- in Toronto uh, on the show. And the show was terrible. And I was miserably unhappy and, you know, just having my head handed to me. Mm-hmm. And I got fired, and I realized I never, ever wanted to do this again. I was 51 years old. I was still fuckable. Um, <laughs> and I, and I, I was good-looking. I was cute. And um, I came home, and I, I sat down. I got home. I, it was just a Friday, Friday noon. Saturday, I'm on a flight. I'm at Pearson. I'm home by, by 7 o'clock that night. Nice thing, it's first-class travel, limousine, the whole deal. Nice, nice deal. I get home. Sunday, I'm having brunch with the wife. I said, how would you feel if I never did this again? She said, I'd be delighted. Of course, she had no idea how much money we were making. <laughs> um, you know, and I went from making it, I went from, I now make a buck for my feet, but I was making five, five flow, you know. I'm right. making about a fifth of what I was earning then. But I assume you invested well. I did. Okay. I'm okay. 
And I, and I got my pension. I pulled the trigger on my pension two years ago. Okay. Which was a great wiggle room exercise. It's fantastic. And you got the pension through the TV work. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, I, I did a lot of hours. Because you're you know, not going to get that from the comics work. No. <laughs> what are you? I love when you're No, I'm just like making that. the really, point. And you, and you were the, you know, really, no, no. I'm just making no. the point for someone well, listening. I, 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 I mean, look, I, I get li- Here, I live in my, and I, I had two houses. I sold one of them. Uh-huh. Paid off the mortgage. Moved to Ventura. Live at the beach. Five doors down from the water, no mortgage. Yeah, you got studio it. Studio in the basement. You in, did in, it. In the ground floor. You did it. Homeless. It's like witness protection, man. It's the greatest. <laughs> yeah, that's. I, I, mean, I am the luckiest old bastard you know. Yeah, it sounds like it. You know. Let Let me ask you this. From cartoonists you came up with, there are a handful who have, who are still extremely relevant, you yourself included. Who was the other handful? I'd say Walter Simonson. Well, I was just going to say Walter Who Simonson, uh, Bill Sinkiewicz. Although he Sinkiewicz says it earlier. I, I mean, he's younger than me. I mean, yeah. Okay. I'm, okay. I'm a good five years young, five years older than Bill. Okay. So let, all right, let's just talk about you and Walter then. How? Walter, and Walter's four years my senior. Okay. I say he's amazing. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I know this. What's? How do you stay? Because I've I've come to know a few people from older generations of comics who use did, their initials just kidding uh well i'll, I'll talk about um who um a herb trippy just passed away right herb, one of the greatest guys ever a super nice a guy prince yes and I, a better artist than anyone ever gave him credit for yes and i met him because he came to when i was in school they were looking to hire a professor and he applied and came down. I was in school being taught by no one who had ever done comics, except one professor. Who was that? Uh, James Sturm. Yeah. Golem's Mighty Swing. Very talented Yes. Guy. So luckily... Very I, intense. Yeah. Well, I, I, I worked very close with James for many years. And I was very lucky to have him. But the other professors, n- not, not so much. All theoretical, not professional. I, I, I think you're giving them too much credit. But... In comes Herb Trimpey to interview for the position. Part of the interview process is to teach a class, which happened to be my class. And me and my friends were excited that someone, a a real comic book artist was coming in to teach us. And so he taught the class. We really responded to what he did. And me and some friends spent the afternoon with him. And he had this... There was a, a almost a desperation to him, like you think I'll get the job. Like uh, I was like, I, I really hope they hire this That's guy. That's just Herb. Okay, but they didn't. And I think it was. Who they hire in place? Um, a guy named. Uh, I think this is who they hired in place. I don't think he was there yet. Uh, his last name was Cassidy. I think his first name was Jack. He was, um, I think, a single panel cartoonist for small publications. Okay. Um, all I remember was in Patch Adams, the cartoonist in the movie was based upon him. So I, that, that's all I just, we knew. I just vomited in my mouth. Right. By the way. Yeah. Okay. So that says that. that yeah. So I just, I think they must've felt threatened by it, but I watched and it just seemed like here was someone who I thought had a lot to offer. And it just seemed like he was constantly struggling to find work. And, uh, I, I know, uh, an and another, uh, an inker who refused to grow with the medium as it grew, as 
it became, as we became exposed to uh, other cultural interpretations of comics, whether it be European or Japanese, and just very stuck in, in a single era, and just the industry washed him by. Now, I'll put that on him. I know, I know who you mean. Um, you know exactly who I mean? I do. I have a pretty good idea who you mean. Okay. I could be wrong, but it's not. But it, it's a very good description of someone I'm thinking of. Okay, we can talk off mic, or if you want to talk on mic, I can do it too. Turn, turn the mic off for a second. Okay, hold on one sec. You can yeah. see my you can see my point and my assumption. Right, right. Mm-hmm. So we weren't talking about the same person, but but uh, I see it's the same idea. Yeah. But so with you less and, rage. <laughs> right, right. So, but you and Walter continue to grow and continue. Is that just it? You're still thirsty and hungry to to be better and learn. Is that what keeps you relevant, or do you just have no idea? Well, I can't speak for Walter. Okay. I know, I know for me, it's, it's a lot of it is being terrified of being identified as an imposter. Okay. You know? Um, um, one, of the, one of my colleagues once told a younger guy that I was a really bitter guy, and I'm not bitter. I never got that from you. Never. Not, not, not in any way. I mean, I'm... Uh, I'm resentful, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but, um, but I'm, I'm very much convinced that someday somebody's going to pull my covers and it, it'll be, you know, I'm, I'm an empty shell. That, that's my nightmare. Well, where um, does that come from? Oh, from, from being told that I wasn't worth anything. As a child? As a child, yeah. From your parents? Yes. Is that I'm, the ha- ju- I'm the happiest orphan in the world. I mean, understand. I mean, I'm a, <laughs> please. I mean, I'm, all that Jewish mother stuff, not in my house, babe. Oh, really? Yeah. It was. My mother died not telling me that I was that the guy I thought was my father was not my father. Oh my god! That I'm illegitimate. My real name isn't Chaykin. What's your real name? Drucker. Drucker. I'll stick with Chaykin. <laughs> um, no relation to Mort. No. Well, well I, I judge my friends whether the Drucker they come up with is Mort or Sam. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so um, you know, it's also I was you know I mean the, the man who was my real father may never not even know I exist. I have no. He's, I'm sure he's long dead. Okay. Um, so my, my relationship Did you have idea. years of, of uh, I'm not going to say uh, bitterness But resentment <laughs> is, that, is that where that comes from? Oh yeah I okay. mean I, I think I think she's my, I think my mother And her, her relationship with a man who, was, who played my father Wrecked my ruined my brothers I think I, I'm, the, I'm the survivor of the three of us Are they older? No they're younger Younger? Okay yeah. um, You know and I I empathize terribly with them I really do I feel terrible for them And, I, and, and if I ever hear this Sorry, guys. Yeah. Um, I, I assume at some point you found some peace in that, in yourself. It took a long time. I mean, that really wasn't until I was in my early 40s. Okay, that's what I was going to ask. You know, I mean, until I, until I stopped drinking and stopped smoking dope and, and, and just getting fucked up. I, right. You know, I, um, I, came to, I came to a lot of, you know, more, more real and basic understanding of who I was and why. And... Um, and realized that, you know, this was it. Uh-huh. No dress rehearsals. Right, right. You might, you might as well get fucking around and do the job. Right, right. And uh, and I did. You know. So you seem to be in a good place right now. Oh, I am. You've got a good house, good life. You're I happy keep, making. I keep comments. telling you to move there for Christ's sake. I know, sake. I know. Well, my 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 problem is supporting a family in comics is is. Uh, we're we're barely getting by still, and I live in Atlanta, which is pretty damn cheap. So to move out yeah, west, it, yeah, yeah, I, I can take it. I, I hear. While I want to, and I hope to, it, it's probably not a good idea right now, right. which is what I'm wrestling with. 
But um, so are you happy with the comics you're making these days? Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm always, I'm lucky enough, and I consider this deeply lucky, that, I mean, going back to what I said about being the least talented and least gifted of my generation, <clears throat> one of the unintended results and joys of that is that I'm, I'm like a ball player who never was any good in the first place. So there are a lot of ball players, you know, they lose their shit. But is that just you being self-deprecating? Hardly. Come on, I look at the work. I, I understand what you're saying because I, got, I feel I got, that I way. Physical, you know, look, I mean, one of the things about comics is you learn your shit in public. And right. You're, you're, and it's inescapable. Sure, no, no, I understand what you're I mean, saying. How, how many times am I going to apologize for Star Wars? I mean, really, okay. you know, come on. I mean, right, but Times Square was something that I read uh, over uh, and over and over again. It taught me so much about how this works. And one of, my, one of the big lessons I took from that was how sound works in a comic right. book. Look, I'm not saying I didn't do good shit. Okay, okay, good. Oh, no, 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 no. I'm, I mean, I got good in my 30s, okay, trust me. Okay, okay. No, no. Please. <laughs> not and Black good. Kiss was beautiful. Well, look, I mean... I am I am defined by the decade of the '80s. Okay, you know I'm an '80s guy. Dan DiDio still, you know, he's, he condescends to me as a as a guy whose career was was, was defined by 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 ni- from 1981 to 1989. <laughs> <Right>. Okay, <laughs> and I did good work then, but I've also I've done good work since. Yes, you know I think Mighty Love is a, is a book that nobody read that I thought was pretty damn good. I'm very proud of my challenger's work. Talking just commercially alone. Sure, I'm very proud of City of Tomorrow. Uh-huh. I, did, I did a Western for Disney Italia that can stand alone with any, any Western being done in the past 20 years. I'm loving the work I'm doing with Fraction. I think Satellite Sam is a really solid piece of work. Okay. I'm, I'm very happy with the sequel I did to Black Kiss. Yeah, yeah, because yeah. Because it, yeah. it, was, it was filthier and darker. Yeah. And, and, and better written and deeper. Uh-huh. Um, Do you, so are you at a point where you're just happy with, you know that you're, you're, you're doing quality work yeah. and if the audience isn't responding to it in droves, that, that doesn't bother you? No. I mean, I look, I, everybody wants to be loved. I just haven't got the energy. Right. Well, <laughs> you know, yeah, I, mean, yeah, I, just, sure. I don't care that much. You know, it's, it's, I mean, I long ago gave up trying to convince the audience that what I do is good and what ever got, I mean, Gil Kane was my mentor in so many ways. And typically, people constantly assumed that his criticism of other people's work was that the, was, was, was it the, that, that the subtext of it was, and I could do it better. And that was never the case. Mm-hmm. He was as self-critical as any human being as I've ever known, along the lines of a Stalin show trial. Okay, okay. And, <laughs> and I, I mean, I, I can take my work apart. Uh-huh. You know, um, I have an assistant who came to work for me a couple of years ago, who's working for me now, who had obviously been told how good he was for so long. And he's, he wasn't, you know. Mm-hmm. And, and about a month into work for me, he turned to me out of nowhere and said, this is a shitload harder than I ever thought. <laughs> you know, what? I said, yeah. I mean, I, one of the things is I'm not naturally good, so I have to work really hard. Yeah. So, but, so I've, I've developed a series of techniques and skills, and I work my skill sets. Yeah. I, have nothing, I have no natural skills to depend on, which is just great. That's how I feel. It, mean, it means that I can continue to polish. Right, you know? that's how I feel. I don't know about Walter. I'm, I, maybe Walter's in the same book. because you know, I, mean, I get a great deal from Walter. I learned enormous from Walter. Uh-huh. Um, we have very different mindsets. Um, I mean, interestingly, Walter's work is, I think, as good as it's ever been today and is in the service of stuff I don't give a damn about. I, I have no interest whatsoever in what he's drawing. The work is phenomenal. Yeah, I yeah. But I don't care about fantasy or sword and sword. Right, but that, that's, my that's the love of his. I, yeah, I know. But I, I right, it's just not for you. I could beat him up into a stick. You know, but I mean, I'm lucky enough, as I say, to be able to get people to publish work that, you know, 
it's not commercial in, in any real, you know, immediately jump on sense. I mean, look, the Phantom Eagle book, mm-hmm. you know, um, Nick, Nick Lowe calls me up, this is years ago, calls me up in 2008, calls me up and asked me if I wanted to do it. I said, sure, I'd love to do this stuff. I'd like to work with Garth, see what that's like. Sure. And I said, why in God's name would you want to publish this? Nobody's going to buy this. And the answer was, of course, because Garth wanted to do it. They wanted to be in bed with Garth. Right, right, right. Clearly. And, um, you know, so I really embraced the book. He seems a like a writer that, that really gets it. In terms of visual narrative, yeah. yes. He has. He understands real estate. Yeah, he yeah, really yeah, does. Yeah. Yes, I completely I mean, agree. Uh, that's like... I always say to myself, if I could just get in bed with Garth, I'd be yeah. In I mean, good hands. He, he really he has he has he has a sense, this air to his work, right? Which is which is un, unusual, right? Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, um, you know, there are guys whose success I resent, and he's not he's not one of them. You right. know what I'm saying? You yeah. Know? Um, I mean, this new TV, the preachy series, TV series. God love you. Good, good, good on you. Yeah. You know. Um, so I mean, I'm doing. I mean, the work I got lined up in the next two years. Is you know for the most part it's extremely uncommercial work in, in any real sense, but uh, but it's very much reflective of you know someone said that sounds the, like the dream you do the work for the Howard Shakins of the world right you know, right, not, you know, right yeah sure but that know, sounds like the dream where fa- your like mortgage say, is paid off and you get to do what you want to do lucky guy yeah I'm lucky yeah you know? <laughs> yeah that's awesome. you know I mean while this past week I'm I'm doing two commercial jobs this year so far the other rest of the world I mean I'm doing a a one off of the Black Hood uh-huh. for Archie. I uh-huh. love those guys over there. They're really fun guys. Yeah. And I've always wanted to work with Dwayne. I always want to see what, what doing a Dwayne Swarzynski script was like because I like his I like his prose. I've worked with Dwayne. You know. Yeah. And um, and it's a good story. It's be fun to do. And the other is I'm going to do a thing with Mark Wade, who's another guy who understands real estate. Yeah, yeah, that's I've heard uh, that on too. the Shield, the twelve issue Shield series that they're doing at the end okay. of the year. So I'm going to do one in the summer. The rest, I mean, I'm doing a Dark Horse Presents series about uh, two two aging Rough Riders, you know, retired Rough Riders, going up against the mob. And, is that uh, you writing and drawing? Oh yeah. oh, yeah. That sounds fun. And um, and, a, and a spiritual quest book called Midnight of the Soul about a very damaged World War II vet in 1950 who learns in a 12-hour period of clarity that everything he knows and believes about what's happened to him in the last 10 years is a lie. And who's publishing that? Um, image. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. And you're writing and drawing yeah. that one? Oh, yeah. Do you ever see yourself not writing and drawing comics? No. Yeah. What the fuck? Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, look, I mean, the fact is I have, I never understood back pain, never experienced it, never uh-huh. had headaches, nothing. At 60, all this shit, you know, I was talking to somebody yesterday, it was a couple of years, about 10 years my senior, I said, you know, when I was a kid, I used to watch all those movies about the, about the you know, the white, great white hunters going into the, de- into the jungle and falling into the quicksand. Right, right. And I said, why the fuck don't you just swim out and quit fucking around, you know? <laughs> and I, every time I, when I, and there are days when I get up in the morning my back feels like that's that quicksand, like all the tissue has ceased to connect to itself. <laughs> and I'm screaming. You know, I mean, I, it's like, I told the story today. I was, uh, my wife and I were on our way to a movie mm-hmm. a couple of days ago. It was Pitch Perfect 2, I might add, not The Avengers, because uh, we go to those kind of movies. <laughs> you know? And, um, and I, I said, How could you stomach Pitch Perfect 2? I loved it. Do you like musicals? I do. Okay. Not, not, I don't like movie musicals. Wait, they, they, don't use. Don't don't judge me. <laughs> I loathe movie musicals. I like stage musicals. Okay. But I love acapella. Yeah, I know you like theater. I love acapella. Okay. You know, uh-huh. I really do. And I'm and I'm crazy about Elizabeth Banks and John Michael Higgins. Okay. And we're walking into the theater, and I said, you know, and I, I we were talking about death. We're old. <laughs> She's a couple of years older than me, and I said, you know, you're in much better shape than I am, but I'm healthier than you are. 
And and she said, yeah, so you'll drop dead first and I'll linger. <laughs> so drop dead and linger is now our law firm. <laughs> you know, that's a sanguine nature of life that I have right now. Okay. Um, and I'm, you know, I'm a happy guy. And what's really wonderful about this experience is that, you know, the, fir- the, the first podcast I ever heard was um, Marin's discussion with Dana Gould. Uh-huh. Which remains among my four favorite of the Marin shows. Okay. You know? Why? Why that one? Um, because Gould, Gould is, a, is a singular talent. Yeah. I've listened to every Marin. I, I love Dana Gould's work. Yeah. Extra- he's, he's an extraordinary I, I, talent. Yeah, he is. And his, his, his self-awareness runs profoundly deep. And some of the things he said to say about his own mental, ex- emotional experiences mm-hmm. and mental problems, it's just, I, I, was, I was in awe of the work. Mm-hmm. I have an iPod because of his podcast. Chirella gave me my first iPod. Listen to this. You'll like this. He's just like you. The po- oh, my, oh, okay. My, my daughter-in-law is convinced that I am Mark Marin. that we are the same people. My stepdaughter, rather. And then <laughs> I don't see it. Well, that, that's what uh, a lot of people say. This is the WTF for comics. Well, it feels like it. It feels like it. I feel like Dennis Leary right now. <laughs> Except I'm not married to a woman who looks like me. <laughs> Thank God. All right. So we, we've gone about an hour here. Uh, is there anything you're hoping we could talk about and we didn't no, get to? I don't, I don't really think so. I, j- I have a feeling as long as... Uh, I mean, I, there's, al- there's always going to be like, oh, Well, damn. what I was going to say was, uh, and I I hope and I, I think I'm correct in assuming that you'll want to do this again. Well, I like you personally. I think your hair looks great. <laughs> you know, as I told you today. You know, <laughs> right. <laughs> but yeah, well, I, look, I'm a man who likes talking to a man who likes to talk. Sure. And I, I, what I'm getting at is I feel like we have many more of these to do. I'm in. Okay. All right. So let's end it there. All right. You're a happy man. I am. You know, happy go lucky. That's me. All, all just happy, joyous, and free, filled with joy and fun. That's awesome. Me. Thanks, Thank, man. Thank Thanks, you. Sean.